llama shorts for those moments when you are stretched on time. I served in the Army National Guard in, I joined in 2005, served through about 2011, I uh, did about six years. And really that experience, the deployment that I had to Afghanistan in 2010, um, all of that stuff really shaped who I am today. The the deployment, and I'm sure we'll get more into to that story and, and everything that, that took place during that deployment, but um, you know, it really gave me an appreciation for what the the service members do when they they go overseas, when they're they're fighting in in combat, and when they're even not not necessarily in combat, but just being away from home for right. for so long, from you know being away from their families, uh, missing the birthdays, missing the the holidays and anniversaries, and all that other stuff that that happens. Um, you know, it, it just gave me a better appreciation for what takes place. You know, with with within the military, um, and then after coming home. Um, our, our company was fortunate enough when we were overseas that we, our company didn't lose anybody um, uh, to combat or, or anything like that. So, um, so we were very fortunate, but when we came home, we started losing guys to suicide and it, you know, one is too many. Uh, but when, you know, more and more people started taking their own lives, it just, it really started to bring me down and it started to, to make me think like we were over there in a place where people literally wanted us dead. They wanted to kill us and they failed. Like we all made it home. And then we came to a place where everyone wanted us to succeed and thrive. And now we start losing guys. And it's like, where, where is this coming from? Why is this happening? And, and that's really uh, the motivation behind my podcast and, and what I do um, trying to help out, veterans because, um, you know, I'd like to see that, that 22 a day number, uh, you know, the suicides and the, the military and the veteran community to, to drop down. I'd love to see it down to, to zero. Um, you know, but, but anything I could do to help chip away at that number, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm just one person with, you know, one podcast. So I, you know, I'm not delusional thinking that I'm going to, you know, make it all the way down to zero on my own, but you know, it, it takes a, a group effort with, with a lot of different people out there doing, doing all sorts of different things. And um, you know, I, that's, that's something that I want to do. I want to, I want to help chip away at that number and, and bring it down um, as low as, as we can get it. And then I wrote my book, you know, which you, you mentioned earlier. Um, and, and that talks about my story and my, my struggles and how I dealt with things as uh, a returning uh combat soldier. And it really was, you know, my way of saying, Hey, look, I made a lot of mistakes when I came home. And um, I, I want people who are in my shoes, who who've experienced something similar to learn from those mistakes so that they don't have to go down the wrong path like I did. Um, so that they can, you know, jump back or bounce back from whatever their, their tragedy is and, you know, move on with their life and not, not just be so stuck the way I was. Um, so, so, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of these things based on those experiences, um, based on the deployment, based on uh, my time in the military, just the people that I, I knew and, and everything. It just really influenced me to try to help out as, as best as I can. And, and growing up when, when I was younger, um, our, our family was very patriotic. It still is. And, and so there was that, um, that thing where, where when I was a kid, we would look up to the people who are in the military, the, the police officers, the first responders, everyone like that. Um, we looked up to those, those type of people. And 
and we looked at them as as like the superheroes or the the sports stars, the Michael Jordans or, or whoever, you know, like that that was to us like who who we would look up to. Um, and so when I start seeing these people who, you know, now I'm, I, I was part of that, that group of people. But uh, when I start seeing these people, I still have that same respect for those, those people, the, the, the service members, the, the veterans, the, the police officers, everyone like that. Um, and I start seeing that they're struggling. And, um, you know, part of the respect that I have for them is they're willing to sacrifice themselves for us, for, to, to protect us, to keep us safe. And, and now, now I'm realizing how much they struggle with, with some of the things that they, they deal with uh, on a day-to-day basis. And it's like, you know what, I, I want to continue to give back to, to them. And so, so that's, that's really what is driving me and what, what's making me want to continue to, to serve the, the people who serve us and, and help out in any way that I can. No, and I, and I love what you do. And I think that um, bringing light to, to some of the issues that we face I think that's such a huge part of it. And and sometimes, you know, people oversimplify it, but I remember my first deployment when I came back, this was way back in 03. Um, you know, we were, we were in setting up Northern Iraq after we invaded. And I remember that deployment was pretty harsh in, in, in some ways, you know, we were like, you know, burning our own poop, you know what I mean? Like pooping in holes, yeah. all that stuff that you see on some of those, uh, movies. Um, and I was watching uh, actually Generation Kill on HBO. That was actually like I looked at that, and I mean I'm not I'm not in the Marines or anything. I'm in the Air Force, but I remember a lot of that stuff that they were kind of dealing with. And I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. It kind of took me back. But um, but I remember um, you know, dealing with that together as a team. We didn't have no entertainment besides each other. You know, eating uh, MREs for 90 straight days before they finally opened up. You know, a, a little mini kitchen, which, you know, was so far away, you might as well just eat MRE. And I just remember kind of going through that suck together, you know? And, um, yeah. and then I remember, uh, coming home and, and then like all of us parted ways and, you know, I, I was a single airman at the time and everybody just parted ways. And then I was also in this weird moment where, they were like, if you want to take these free R&R days off, you know, you can take leave now, but you're just going to, you're basically wasting these R&R days. So I was like, well, I don't want to do that. So I'll take leave after the R&R days, you know, and they wanted us to stay around to, you know, go in process and all that stuff and make sure that we we're good to go and healthy, which I did. But there was a lot of day drinking going on during that time because, you know, I just, I, I was yeah. all the people that I just experienced all this stuff with. They all had families. Everybody just kind of split up. I was just left at home to my own devices. Everybody was at work and just reflecting on like feeling almost empty. You know what I mean? And it just, and I wasn't with my family. Like when I was in station in Georgia and my family was all the way up in Seattle. So it was like, I talked to them, but they're all working too. So yeah, yeah. just, just a feeling of being alone. I just remember that, you know, and, and just a lot of a lot more drinking that should have been going on during the day. So thank goodness, you know, I didn't go too far into a dark place, but I, I just vividly remember that. Yeah. And, and that's, that's something too, that, you know, for, for me, it, it wasn't something that, that I experienced because I, I was like some of those other people, I, I had a family and everything, mm-hmm. but you know, there were some soldiers that, that we deployed with and uh, they, they were single. Um, mm-hmm. They, they didn't have, you know, maybe their, their parents weren't around or whatever, and they were, they were just kind of on their own. And so, yeah, I it hadn't even crossed my mind until you started mentioning that, but that yeah. that's very true. There, there's a lot mm-hmm. of people who, who probably fit that, that description as well. And so, you know, what's going on with them, you know, who's, who's checking up right. on them and, and making sure that they're okay and not, not overdoing it with things like drinking or, 
mm -hmm. any other number of things that they could be doing right yeah yeah i think there's i mean it, it, when you're in a tent or whatever else you're in for you know six months nine months whatever the deployment might be some people over a year right and you're always with people <laughs> and you're constantly yeah. with people and even when you're in it you're like i'm so annoyed by being around all you guys you know but then when you get then you come home into just an empty apartment or an empty barracks or dormitory whatever it is man that's just there's some type of feeling that it's really hard to describe besides just feeling empty yourself that's what that's yeah. the, i just remember that yeah for sure so hey let's let's talk about um your deployment itself. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that happened on there. And, um, you know, I'd love for you to walk through, you talk about it in your book, Surviving Son. And uh, let's talk a little bit about that, please. If we could elaborate on your story when you're deployed and, and why your book is called Surviving Son. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'll, I'll take it back a little bit before the deployment. So mm -hmm. uh, my younger brother, uh, his name is Stephen. Uh, he joined the Vermont Army National Guard, and I was in the Connecticut Army National Guard. Um, we both lived in Connecticut. He just went to school up in Vermont, mm -hmm. and uh, he met a guy up there who was in the Guard and started talking to him about it. And he thought it sounded pretty cool and wanted to, to do it himself. So, so he enlisted. Um, and then a couple of years later, I, I decided to enlist. Um, uh, when uh, when I decided to enlist, it was because I, um, first off, my, if my younger brother is going to do something cool like this, then I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it too. It's right. not like I'm, <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not going to let him go and have all the fun, right? Um, but, but I had enlisted because I saw a report in the news that said that the, the military was struggling to meet their recruiting numbers. And this was like 2005. Uh, or some sometime around there, and and that started to get under under my skin because I was thinking about the the nine eleven, uh, you know, all the people who were just so pissed off and angry and wanted to go get get payback for what what had taken place. And this is just a few years later, and now the military is struggling to meet their recruiting numbers. And I was like, what the hell's going on? Where where are all these people? Uh, and then I realized that I was one of those people and I still hadn't done anything about it. So I was like, well, maybe it's time for me to, you know, get off my butt and go, go do something about it. And, um, you know, not, not just sitting around making excuses about why I'm not going to join or whatever. So, so I did, I joined the, the Connecticut army national guard at, at the time I was working, uh, my first job out of college. And, um, you know, I, I liked the job. I liked the area that I was in. And so I didn't want to go active duty and, you know, get shipped all over the world or, or all over the country, wherever. So, um, so I decided to stay with the national guard, figure that way I could kind of have the best of both worlds. Um, but my brother's unit and my unit, the reason why I brought his, his unit up is they, they both fell under the same brigade. And so in 2010, uh, there was a deployment, brigade-wide deployment, where both his unit and my unit were deployed over to Afghanistan. So uh, he and I were both in Afghanistan at the same time, uh, you know, give or take. You know, we got there maybe a couple of weeks uh, off from each other. But, um, you know, for, for the most part, we were, we were there at the same time. So I was stationed in eastern Afghanistan. Actually, we both were stationed in eastern Afghanistan. I was right on the border of Pakistan uh, in an area called Torkham, uh, right in the, the Khyber Pass uh, region. And that was an area which I didn't know before uh, going there, but um, that was an area where about 80% of NATO uh, supplies would come through that region. Uh, by truck because most of the the supplies would get shipped on on cargo ships and they would uh, dock in Pakistan 
uh, get off the, the boats there, get put on trucks, and then driven into Afghanistan since Afghanistan's a landlocked country. So when we got there, our we found out our, our job was to secure the border area so that these trucks would have safe passage coming into Afghanistan. Uh, so that was like the majority of our job was was border security, uh, just making sure that that the border remained open and that there wasn't any blockages that, that prevented them from getting through. And every once in a while, the, the Pakistani military uh, right on the other side of the border, um, literally like you could throw a rock and hit them and like they're that close. They would sometimes shut down the border, sometimes in response to some of the drone strikes that that the Americans would do inside of Pakistan. They'd, they'd just be pissed off about that, and they'd, they'd shut down the border. Um, but usually, whenever we were present at the border, they kept the border open. So it was... It was kind of like a show of force, not that we were planning on going to war with Pakistan, but, you know, by by being there, it caused them to keep the, the border open more more frequently. And it was very rare that we would show up at the border and it would all be shut down. Um, I think that might have happened like once, maybe twice, but but every other time when we were there, it, they kept it open. So that was a big part of our job. And the base we were on was fairly small uh, fob. It was, um, you know, had, had one... Uh, infantry company, a few support elements and and things like that on there, but um, but it was mostly just the infantry uh, people who were there. So we would rotate our jobs. We would, we would rotate what we would do. So uh, one week we we might be going down to the the border and securing that that area. Another week we'd have uh, uh, QRF rotation, and then uh, another week we'd be on like base security, where we'd we'd be uh, mostly on the base, but we'd we'd be around to respond for any. Um, threats that came came into the base, which happened from time to time. So that was a majority of it. And then later on in the deployment, they started taking the, the QRF platoon and they started using them more for, for other missions around the area. So we would drive out to local villages and respond whenever they had things that, that came up. Um, like one time a village nearby us, they had some RPGs that they found uh, on the side of a road in, in a little ditch. So we had to go and secure that area and make sure that um, you know, that, that stuff like EOD was able to come in and take care of that stuff, uh, you know, things like that. And then eventually we, we started, uh, flying out to another base to, to conduct operations with the Afghan army. And, uh, so part of our, our job was to train the Afghan soldiers and, and help them get up to speed with some just basic, very basic military tactics, like, you know, how to clear a building and stuff like that. Just really basic fundamentals. One of the problems that we faced though in in that job was it was it felt like it was hurting cats. Uh like like we we couldn't keep their attention long enough to get them to really go through the training uh the way they needed to. And they were very uncoordinated. They were not very uh well disciplined. And it also happened to be during uh, the month of uh, Ramadan, which uh, for anyone who's not familiar with that, it's a Muslim holiday. And uh, basically during the, I guess, during the daylight hours, uh, they're not allowed to eat or drink anything. And this was in August in Afghanistan. And it was hot, like really hot, like over 120 degrees hot. And, um, you know, you're, you're standing outside in in the direct sunlight, you know, middle of the day, trying to get these guys to do anything. And, and it was like, it was impossible. We'd have them maybe for an hour, uh, like early in the morning. And then they, they just go and walk away and f go find shade and hang out for the rest of the day. Because I mean, and I can't blame them really, because they had no energy. They didn't eat anything or drink anything for, for the longest time. And, um, you know, 
I, I'd probably do the same thing because that that just is nuts to think that that someone's gonna uh, you know be running around in, in the the hot sun like that. Um, but then you know we we thought well maybe we could do some training at night, but at night is when they're allowed finally allowed to eat and drink, and so they don't want to do any training then. So so it was like we really had our our uh, got our hands tied here because it it's not going to work out. We're not going to be able to do much training with them. But then we also had to take them out on, on missions and, and go uh, with them. And I, I like to think of what we were doing with them as kind of like being a driver's ed instructor where, you know, in the, the driver's ed car, they have like the, the pedal on the passenger side to, yeah. to pump the brakes and everything. So that's kind of like what we were doing. They were behind the wheel. They were in control of the, the mission. They were going and clearing houses as best as I could. Uh, I don't know really how well they, they were doing, but, and then if things got a little bit out of control, we, we were there to, you know, kind of pump the brakes and, and step in if needed. So, uh, so that's what we, we did with them. We, we'd fly out to these very remote villages, um, in the middle of the night, uh, we, we get off the helicopters and, and we'd have to wait till daylight to go and enter these villages to start searching for the Taliban weapons, whatever it happened to be that we were looking for because the Afghan army didn't have any night vision capabilities. So like we could, we saw how uncoordinated they were in the middle of the day with, with the the bright sunlight, but having them walk down a rugged mountain uh, with no night vision, uh, there's no way they'd be able to do it. So, so we had to wait until, until daylight to, to go on these missions, which wasn't exactly the most ideal thing because of course the, the helicopters we fly in on basically give away the fact that Americans are coming. Right. And then, you know, anyone who's in those villages who aren't supposed to be in those villages, they run away and, you know, go, go hide or whatever. Um, and so, you know, it's not, it wasn't often that we were finding the things that we were hoping to find or the people that we were hoping to find. So it, it wasn't the best planned uh, or, or best executed missions, but it, it was the best we could do with what we had to work with. Yeah. So, so that was kind of the, the gist of the, the missions and everything and, and what our job was over there. In, in the type of work that that we did, um, you know, as as infantry soldiers, that's that's kind of what we we would do is we we'd go on the the front lines, you know, searching the the buildings and and looking through things like that. Um, you know, at, at the border, we we'd search trucks and and vehicles and and even people who who were pedestrians walking through through the border area. You know, and and we'd we'd be kind of right there in the the thick of things uh, where where things were were taking place so um it was a it was an interesting time and it, and it was also uh for me it was it was interesting to see the the culture there the the way the people uh, lived and the way they interacted with each other the way they you know bought things they they had these these markets that were just open air markets and yeah. the way they, they sold the food and car parts and everything else all in the same uh, strip. So it, it was, like, it was almost. very, yeah, it, it was ba- yeah. basically like a, a swap meet. And, yeah. um, you know, every once in a while you, you'd find like, it was actually kind of funny. There's, um, there's a casino in, in Connecticut called the uh, Mohegan sun. And, uh, someone who, who had a family member who worked there, uh, got a whole bunch of uh, hats from Mohegan sun sent to them. And we we're like, well, that, that's great. You know, in a care package or whatever, that's great. But we, we can't wear these because, you know, we, we have uniforms that we have to wear and everything. So, um, you know, I guess they gave them away to some Afghans, uh, mm-hmm. to just, you know, goodwill kind of thing. Like, here you go, here's some hats. And, uh, you know, the next thing, you know, you go through one of these, uh, these marketplaces and you see a whole bunch of these Mohegan sun hats for sale, <laughs> you know, they're trying to sell them to people and stuff. So they try to sell them to us. It's like, yeah. no, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. So when you when you were there, when you're going through that the mission that you described, do you feel like the entire purpose of that was explained pretty well, or is that stuff that you had to put together later? Because I, I find that you know, for, definitely for people that are not in the military, just kind of hearing the story, like, what were you guys doing there? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, but then us, you know, sometimes even our service members, especially the young ones, like, what are we doing here? You know what I mean? Like, what are we doing here right, right. now? And I think sometimes we do a poor job articulating um, the purpose, and um, a lot of it you know, like explaining that that past, how important it was, you know, a lot of the times we are occupying space to protect a, a, a resource, right, or a piece of land for, for yeah. one reason or another. And I think sometimes I get lost in the sauce when you're out in the deployment for a while. Yeah, you know, when we when we first got into Afghanistan, like the day one, we were there, mm -hmm. uh, we, we landed, we still didn't know exactly where we were going to be and what mm -hmm. exactly our, our job was we knew like the general region we knew eastern afghanistan somewhere but mm -hmm. we didn't know we were going to be right on the border like our base mm -hmm. was i think maybe two miles from the border mm -hmm. so we like we were really close to the border as a matter of fact there's a, a big hill on on the, the base and and you could uh climb to the top and you could see it clearly into pakistan from from mm -hmm. where we were but we didn't know and and part of that i think might have just been opsec type stuff mm -hmm. where yeah. they didn't want to tell us before we even got to afghanistan exactly where we're going to be and exactly what we're going to be doing because you know the whole loose lips sink ships and, mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff like um you don't want to have uh you know privates blabbing to their their family like oh this is exactly what we're going to be doing and this yeah. is where we're going to be and exactly when we're going to be there and all that kind of stuff you don't, you don't want to have all that kind of stuff happen so so i get it like keeping a little bit of secrecy uh amongst you know what what's going on there but you know when we finally got to where we we're going uh we did have some briefings on what the mission was and mm -hmm. and why we were doing what we were doing you know we were there and the unit that we were replacing they were still there so they were able to walk us through what the job was um they they went out with us to the border they went out, out with us to local areas and stuff and they they showed us what it was that um that we'd be doing and who some of the key leaders who are in that area from the, like the Afghan border police and the Afghan, you know, other representatives, they, they'd show us who they were, make the introductions and, and start us off on the right foot. So, so we did have a, a pretty good idea of, of that kind of stuff. And, and same thing with the, the other missions that I was telling you about when we were working with the Afghan army, you know, we, we knew what our job was. We knew we were supposed to train them. We knew that we were going to be going out on these missions, looking for uh, Taliban activity in some of these villages, looking for uh, you know, weapons and, and other supplies. Um, on occasion, there would be reports that there were Afghan army uniforms that got stolen. And, and we'd be told like specifically, Hey, you're going out here and you're looking for these, these uniforms. Right. So, um, so it, it was, there was enough communication, uh, with, with some of that stuff. Um, you know, on occasion that some things just didn't just fell through the cracks and we didn't, didn't find out about exactly what was going on until after the fact. And, and, you know, that's, that's probably a, f a failure in communication too. But, um, you know, uh, for the most part, we, we kind of had a good idea of what was going on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's, that's going to be common in a big organization, of course, but yeah. And the reason why I asked was because I think that when you tie purpose to what you're doing, even if tragedy kind of hits while you're in there, um, yeah. and you understand why you're there, it helps be able to accept, you know, those things. And I, I remember, um, there was a story a while back, um, 
General Rhonda Cornum was talking about, uh, it was a resiliency discussion. And during that discussion, they were talking about how like, you know, two chopper pilots, um, one family goes on deployment and another family goes on deployment, um, uh, service members go on deployment. Anyway, uh, one, they both end up not making it back. Um, one of the service members told their family that even though he volunteered for the mission to go, that he wanted to go, he told his family that, no, they're making me go. I have no choice. You know, yeah. the other family the service member told their family that, no, this is, it's the right thing to do. I believe in this. This is why I'm going. Um, I know I don't want to leave you, but this is why I'm going. When the, both families were told that the service members didn't make it back, um, the one that was told the truth that there was, it was voluntary. I went, they, they accepted it more because they knew that there was a purpose behind it. That's what that person wanted to do. Whereas the other yeah. family held a grudge for a long time. Right. And I translate that to us too. Like when we're actually out there serving, if we have an understanding of why we're doing it. I think it just leads to more productive outcomes, even if tragedy strikes, than if we have, you know, we're like, I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> I've been here for months. I have no, nobody's articulated a mission or vision to what we're even doing out here and a desired end state. I have, I have no clue. And then, you know, you lose some buddies, you know, while you're doing stuff. I think that's a lot harder to accept. And it leads to so many things down the road. For more on this discussion, be sure to check out the entire episode. Be safe, stay healthy, keep growing. Llamas out.